Oh, you sort of quiet. I guess silence is golden. Look at these boys here. The poet said, turn backward, turn backward, oh, time and I flight. Let me be a child again just for tonight. Well, never happened, but it makes good poetry, I guess. Psalms 24, Isaiah 6. One of the main events in worship is the reading of Scripture. God's holy word. Psalms 24. Let me take these glasses off so I can see. And then I may have to get some others here. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. Isn't that true? For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And he hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessings from the Lord, the righteous from the God, righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him. Seek thy face. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts? He is the King of glory. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on the throne, high and lifted up. And his train did fill the temple. And above stood the seraphims. They had six wings with twain covered their face and with twain did cover their feet. And twain they did fly. And one cried unto another when he saw the Lord, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke, and then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of, flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I, then I said, Isaiah, Here am I, Send me. Someone has pictured that like a young boy out on the ball field when they're selecting teams and he holds up his hand and he says, 
here I am. Choose me. Dear Lord, speak to each person in this room, including the man behind the pulpit, in ways that we need to hear your voice and in the way that only you can speak. Well, here it is. Sunday morning. And brethren, we have gathered to worship and adore the Lord our God. God in His grace has so provided Sunday and a place and time to worship. And we've gathered to worship. Worship is the main business of the church. Now, there's a lot of things goes on in the life of the church, but worship is the main business of the church. You say, preacher, what about evangelism? Reaching out. What about mission? Touching the lives of others. I assure you, they are very important. But without worship, none of those things will amount to a hill of beans. It is only as we have been in the Lord's presence that we have power and purpose for evangelism and missions. Much has been said and written about worship. I guess the books would probably fill this room. And I don't propose to have written all of them, very few. But think about public worship and private worship. Private worship is when you go aside by yourself and you're alone with the Lord and you may read his Bible and you offer your prayers and listen for his voice. But public worship is where we gather as God's people in his presence to honor and glorify his name. So today, I want to talk with you about public worship. The Psalms 24 is a psalm of worship. And you know there's over a hundred psalms in the book of Psalms. And many of them pertain to worship. In fact, some of the psalms are hymns the Jewish people sang when they gathered together to worship. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, we have an example of worship. So today we're thinking about public worship as we are gathered together. During the Civil War, in New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, Abraham Lincoln was in attendance one Sunday. That was his home church. He was sitting in his family pew. In those days, you had your own pew. I'm glad that's gone. But the pastor got up and announced there will be no more services in this church until further notice. He said, we're turning the church into a hospital for the wounded soldiers 
of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln stood to his feet and he said to the pastor, Pastor, the congregation has not been made aware of this. We have had, I've had time to discuss it. And he said, I countermand this announcement. I don't know, but I imagine the great president had his way. He realized the greater the crisis, the greater the need for public worship. And if Lincoln were here today, sitting right there, I think he would stand up and look out on the national scene and he would say, the churches are needed for public worship today more than ever before. So I want to talk with you about public worship. And the things I say are common and ordinary. You already know them. It's just a matter of reminding all of us. Now worship is a big subject. A great big subject. No one could cover worship in one sermon. Not even a two before preacher like myself. Probably not in a hundred sermons. But here, I will try. I will not be successful because I can't define worship. There are a lot of good definitions, but you can't define it. It's near impossible. The best we can do is talk about it. So I want to offer four things for your consideration. One is, if we worship, there must be time and place for worship. A lot of folks say, Preacher, I can worship anywhere. At the lake, at the ball game, out in the field. I can worship anywhere. And you know, that is true. You know, God's not locked in this building. He's not locked in Sunday. He's not locked in, time, in, in one certain hour, the 11 o'clock hour. But to say we can worship as well one place as another is simply not true. There must be time and place for worship where God's people gather together and honor his name. If not, why did the Lord give the Sabbath in the Old Testament? Why did he give the tabernacle for the people to gather? And why did he give the temple in Jerusalem? And why did the Lord establish his church in the local community? And almost everywhere in the New Testament, when it mentions church, it speaks of a local church in a local community. If time and place does not matter, why did the Lord do all of that? Why did he establish the church in Antioch and in Rome, in New York and in Nashville and in Elizabethan 
and in Grace Baptist Church. There must be time and place for worship. Worship cannot be left to chance, happenstance, <laughs> convenience, or personal preference. There must be a time and place where we gather together and worship. And the Lord, in His grace, has made it possible. Excuse me. If one ignores Sunday and ignores the place of worship, he or she is living in disobedience and is not a very good witness to the gospel and hinders one's own spiritual well-being. It's clear in the scripture, isn't it? Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. That is a clear call and command to gather and worship. So if we worship, there must be a time and a place. And this church has gone to great expense to prepare a building, a place, and has named an hour here at 9 and 11. A time and place for worship. And then if there is worship, there must be preparation for worship. Worship doesn't just happen. There must be preparation. It takes some getting ready. A fellow called me from Florida and he was, said he was putting out his second garden this year. He said, I'm planting my fall garden. He said, you know, I spent all last week getting ready. Worship takes some getting ready. Someone must prepare this building. That is, they clean it, set up the furniture, make ready for people to gather and worship. And thank God for those who make that preparation. When you come, you have a place to sit, a place to stand, a place to worship. Tom Madden, who was executive director and secretary of Tennessee Baptist Convention, prior to that, he was pastor of First Baptist Church, Tallahoma, Tennessee. He had a very large church and had a full janitorial staff who worked every day. But he said, every Sunday morning early, I would go to the church, leave my family to come later, and he said, I would go through every room in that big church. And make sure that everything was ready for the people to gather, to study, and worship. There must be preparation of the building for people 
together. And then the pastor must be prepared. You know the pastor has a big job. Ain't no little job. He don't just show up on Sunday. He has more than a hundred sermons a year. Think of that. And then he has funerals and weddings and other things to do, not counting the hospital. The pastor has a big job. But you know, he's the leader of worship. That can't be left to anybody else. He's the leader. You know, you ought to lift up your pastor's heart in prayer. Ask the Lord to feed his mind. (laughs) Give him a heart for the people. You ought to hold up his hands in words of encouragement and in a willingness to help. I've been throwing away some things, you know. I don't want my children to have to do all that, you know, when I'm gone. And you know you have a whole lot more stuff than you realize you do when you start trying to throw it away. And everything has sentimental value. It may not be worth a cent, but it has some sort of sentimental value. And you're trying to throw it all away. And I found a card. It was from Kenneth Carrier. He was the principal of East High School from its inception until his retirement. And Kenneth always gave me words of encouragement. He was a man of few words. Though Kenneth has been gone a long time, I could still hear his voice in those words. Words of encouragement. Everyone needs a word of encouragement. And so does your pastor. And then the people must be prepared. You know, coming to worship doesn't just happen. You must make preparation. We used to say in the olden days, now that I'm 85... Getting ready for church. Sunday was a special day. And I know my mama fixed most of her Sunday dinner, not lunch. We called it dinner in those days. But on Saturday. Because Sunday was a special day and folks were going to church. Going to worship. I know one fellow came in jackrabbit overalls, a white shirt and a red tie. That was the best he had, and he wanted to present himself in the best light, going before the Lord, going to church. Sunday takes some getting ready. Worship takes some getting ready. The preparing of our hearts and minds. Getting ready is more about is more than about what we wear. Now I must say what we wear is important. One might wear a jumpsuit to church, but is that appropriate? But the most important garment one can wear 
to church is the robe of reverence. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Going to church takes some getting ready. More than just what we wear. You remember in the Old Testament, the Hebrews got ready a day early. What a difference it would make if all of us, the Lord's people, made ready to go to church in heart and mind on Sunday. One other thing, two other things. <laughs> One is, what about all the elements of worship? We had music, we have prayers, we have opportunity to give offering. But I want to dwell on three things in worship. Three books. We used to say it takes three books to run the church. The Bible, the hymn book, and the pocketbook. And it takes all three to worship. Neither one can be ignored. First of all, the hymn book. The most important thing about music is what does the song say? Do you know gospel truth comes through music and lodges in our hearts and minds and teaches us the things of God? And people that can't even read can hear the music and it lodges in their hearts and they find strength and solace and courage through good Music. The most best example I can think of is Amazing Grace. Think of that. I was watching television one of those funerals in the National Cathedral and they had all the people to stand sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. A few Sunday later, I went over to Shady Valley to fill the pulpit for the pastor who's off. And one of their hymns was, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. You see, music, truth, speaks to the soul. When our hearts are full of joy, and when the clouds hang low, good music speaks to the soul. And then the second book, is the pocketbook. And you're going to say, now here goes that preacher talking about money. How dare he do that? No, no, no. It's not about money. It's about worship. Giving is an act of worship. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel where one brought an offering and God accepted it. 
Another brought an offering, and God did not accept it. It was all about attitude. How we bring our gifts before the Lord, our attitude affects the Lord and it affects the other person. You remember in the scripture where it says, if you have all, your brother has all against you, don't bring your offering, lay it aside. Make things right with your brother and then come bring your offering before the Lord. Let me say without reservation, giving is an act of worship. Have you ever had somebody give you something and they really didn't want you to have it? But for some reason, whatever the reason, they gave it to you. Giving is to be a free act of our heart and spirit unto the Lord. And then the third book is the Bible. It's last, but it's not least. There must be a place for reading the scripture as we have done this morning and for an explanation or the preaching of the word. The sermon is a part of worship. It is not a part from worship. Declare the glory of the Lord among the heathen, his wonders among all people. That's preaching. Say, among the heathen, the Lord reigneth. That's preaching. The church does not live by preaching alone. But time, experience, and the Bible tells us it cannot live without it. The sermon, the reading, and the preaching is part of worship. Well, my wife said I talked too long this morning, so I'll try to cut it back a little bit here. It might seem a little bit broken, but I'll try to do that anyway. Sometimes the preaching is not a high emotional event. Sometimes it's just ordinary and routine. And you know that honors the Lord. Sometimes at the pastor's conference they will say, well, what happened at your church yesterday? Or what happened at your church yesterday? And sometimes I want to stand up and say, I haven't been brave enough. Maybe I'll, by the time I get to be 100, I'll be brave enough. I want to say, well, the church was open yesterday. The people gathered. They sang their hymns of praise. They offered their prayers. They gave their gifts of worship. The preacher read the Bible and spoke about the passage he read, and the Lord was honored.
as he is even here today. You know, it's not the preacher's job to be clever, to be entertaining, or to even be relevant. It is his job to proclaim the whole counsel of God, to make full use of his ministry, to be instant, in season, and out of season, when the snow blows and the sun shines. Spurgeon was standing at the door one Sunday, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Some think the greatest preacher of all time since the Apostle Paul. And one lady said she wanted to compliment the pastor on his message. And Spurgeon said, don't praise me. He said, I don't deserve it. He said, it is the unity of this congregation who holds up the hands of their preacher in prayer that almost anyone could preach in this pulpit. Preaching of the sermon is not a solo act. It is a cooperation between the pastor and the people holding up the pastor's hands saying we believe the gospel and we want other folks to believe it as well. William Barclay, the great scholar, said the congregation preaches more than half the sermon. And that is true. Well, one other thing. What's the object of worship? What do we worship? We all worship something. Something is first in our lives. It may be a lot of different things. But what's the object of public worship? Well, it's not this building. It's good to have a nice building. It's good to have a place to gather clean, convenient. But we don't worship the building. I remember when I pastor at Jonesboro, the main part of that building was made out of handmade brick. And some folks said they could even see the, the print of the slave's fingers in those bricks. Now, whether that was true or not, I'm not quite sure. And you know, inside that building are some beautiful stained glass windows. I've been in that church for over a hundred years. And they came from England. And do you know, they're insured, those windows, for more than $1 million. And they're beautiful to look at. And one could well spend some time just standing there. But you know, we don't worship the building. We don't worship each other. We should be congenial and friendly to each other. And we should accept one another. You know, acceptance is a big word. And I'm afraid sometimes in church, we don't practice it too much. We select a few, and those are the people we receive. But the others, we do not. But our focus, our object, our person 
of worship is the one eternal God who created heaven and earth. And who reveals himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Three different, three different functions, yet one. Mystery, indeed, it is. But as we bow, we bow our heads and hearts and give praise and honor and love and devotion to that one eternal God. (coughs) One of the hymns in the hymn book is entitled, God Our Father. God our Father, we adore thee. We thy children bless thy holy name, chosen in Christ before thee. We are holy. And without blame. So my prayer. Is for each one of us. That worship. Would be our main business. To honor. And adore. His name. Let's stand together. As our musicians come. And as we conclude. The service.